on the encryption side, a lot of people are worried about like, you know, how long do you want your secrets to remain secret for? And if you're really worried about things staying secret for a long time, you know, there are some things that people won't want to get out for the next hundred years, then that's that's the reason for people moving on to other types of secure platforms today. Hello there. How are you all doing? How was your weekend? Mine was pretty good. Look, I know not every one of you is into football, but as some of you know, I bought a football club and we've had a cracking start to the season. We've won all seven games and we've won all six in the league. And this weekend, our rivals Amtil dropped points, which means we are clear top of the league, which is very cool. So a massive thanks to everyone who has supported that. People who've bought jerseys, people who've come to games and the sponsors that have allowed this to happen. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today's episode is an absolute banger. Now, I get a lot of emails from listeners asking me to cover particular topics, and something that comes up again and again is the quantum threat to Bitcoin. Now, I did cover this a few years ago with a guy called Stefan Snigarev. I think I've probably pronounced that wrong. That was episode 116. Now, you might want to go and check that out, but I did think it is time to cover this again as there's been so much happening in the world of quantum and quantum computing. So I've got Richard Murray on the show. He is the CEO of Orca Computing, and he's come on to explain where we are with this weird world of quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and quantum computing. Now, last year, Orca provided the British government with its first quantum computer. And to be honest, I actually thought these machines were a bit of a pipe dream. But I've had so many questions about this and so many people asking. I got Richard on the show and actually, do you know what? They're happening. These machines are being built, but they're very different. Trying to understand a quantum computer or think about it like you might think about a traditional kind of desktop computer, it's just not the same. It's very different. So listen, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please feel free to get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Morning, Richard. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. How are you? Uh, not bad. Uh, you've probably had the shortest journey of anyone we're recording with in this next couple of weeks, so uh, <laughs> uh, that's nice. Um, yeah, thanks for coming over. I know you've been talking to my brother quite a bit. That's right. Um, uh, in the world of Bitcoin, uh, we probably get an email. Well, we get lots of emails, people asking different questions. Can you make a show about this? Can you make a show about that? But every couple of months we get one where it's a concerned email saying, but what about quantum computing? Is this going to destroy Bitcoin? You know, So uh, we made a show about this, what, three years ago? Yeah, it was a good while ago. Yeah, it was a good while ago. It's time to revisit it. Uh, people don't really always go back to the old shows. Yeah, there's a lot happening. What going on? <laughs> I try and follow it. I, uh, I read a couple of, I, f- I read Focus and I read New Scientist mm-hmm. and I see the odd update of what's happening in the world of quantum but um and i'm i'm aware there's it's like a space race yeah and i suppose from the outside it's sort of difficult to follow because uh, there's so much science and quite techy science going on as well quite hard to differentiate sort of what's science and sort of interesting but what's actually going to make it in terms of you know, being a useful product in the near term so there's there's just a ton of conversation happening so it's quite difficult to sort of figure figure out what's real and what's not so real. So I want to get into as much detail as possible with you, really nerd out on this. Um, but most of the people coming on our show are people from the Bitcoin world. Uh, so when people see a show coming out, they're like, oh, I know that person. People may not know you, so it'd be good to do your background, why you're the guy we're talking to about this. Yeah, uh, where do I start? Every, pretty much everyone in this field of quantum computing has starts with a PhD, so it's, it is a sort of deeply technical field. So I did that. 
went to university, got the PhD in quantum physics. Uh, but that was back in sort of 2010 when uh, quantum was just sort of weird sort of fundamental science thing. In fact, I still remember my supervisor, like I wrote loads of stuff on like how to make it a commercial product. And my supervisor at the time just red line through it and he just wrote, this isn't scientifically interesting. <laughs> so like pretty early on worked out that I wasn't a scientist and I'm not really a scientist. I spent the rest of my career sort of being an entrepreneur business person. So left the PhD in quantum to be a consultant. So I did a lot of sort of cool technical related consulting projects. I helped, uh, I don't know if your audience are interested in this, I helped Oakley work out new types of uh, optical films that go on sunglasses. Because they're based in, is it Letchworth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, they were until they sold out. Yeah, all, all over the place. I mean... No, but they had a head office up in uh, up that way. Do they? Oakley? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, and the reason... Oakley sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the only reason I know that... You know my friend Sam, who yeah. was at the... He used to work for them. Hmm. And so he he moved up to... Uh, he either moved to Hitchin, I think he worked in Letchworth, but then they end up selling out to that huge sunglasses brand. Wow. So this, I mean, this was in California. So oh, I spent, wow. yeah, got flown over to sort of see if you've ever that seen pictures of yeah, the, much better. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, it's the best, it's the funnest meeting I've ever had okay. turning up at Oakley. I mean, their building just looks like a spaceship from the outside. It's unbelievable. And so and, what were you helping them with? Uh, looking at um, nanostructured coatings. Yeah, right. They go on, you know, they're looking to, for them to go on the outside of Oakley sunglasses. To, so, what is that like a protective coating? Yeah, uh, for like polarizing, for sort of filtering colors out and all sorts of weird and wacky. They just love like looking at the future of sunglasses and it all related to like fundamental physics, which was sort of where I came in. What is like, nanostructure in? Uh, so, this was um, looking at, uh, on, this is going to be a bit of a distraction. They're fine. If you look at a moth's eye, bear with me. If you look at a moth's eye under a microscope, it has all this really weird structure and the structure is so small that it like gives optical effects like it makes the color different so there's like color that comes from the fact that this surface is like it has structure it has like a form and so oakley were looking at basically printing this moth size structure on the surface of their sunglasses nice i don't know if that's lost you <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you uh, and what was really cool is that i mean their vision was that they you have sort of different types of color filters for different types of sports so you're playing like golf you need a blue filter to help the ball look easier to see you don't know you're you're surfing and you want a different type of filter so they were looking at the sharks sharks, yeah Uh, all of the surfers i don't know Uh, danny you're a surfer what do you need i mean i don't want to see any sharks (laughs) um so did a lot of like cool science stuff but always like translating it into business that's where i sort of carved a bit of a niche i suppose like being not really a scientist, but a bit of a scientist, but really applying it to like future products and things. Um, spent a bit of time in government, like uh, running, sort of starting this. So about sort of midway through my career, about 2013, uh, everyone suddenly realized that quantum was a thing. So there was lots of academic research that all of a sudden, like quantum computing, all of a sudden looked like it was possible and real. And I think around the world at the same time, everyone sort of suddenly realized, hang on a minute, this this might actually be a thing that we should start sort of looking at more seriously. So I worked in government a bit to run sort of different programs, investing in companies, looking to get into quantum. And then eventually 2019, had enough of government, always wanted to start my own company, and then met two other really awesome academics. And they were looking for someone to basically come in and run the business. So the rest is history, we formed Orca Computing. And so what does what does Orca do? 
so tell me, stop me if I get a bit technical. Okay. We build quantum computers, so we build new hardware that we think people will plug into their sort of server systems to accelerate. Hold on, hold on. You build quantum computers? Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought quantum computers were still in the research phase. It's still to be proven, still to be stable. Um, no, no. Well, so we, we built, I mean, we build quantum computers. The thing is that you might say they're still in the research phase because they're not big enough yet to solve sort of really powerful problems. Uh, right. So the, the breaking of cryptography. So Yeah. Right. So, our, I mean, our systems have about 10 qubits sort of quantum bits. Yeah, we'll come into that. Bit. Okay, right. Yeah, to, to break any type of encryption, you're going to need millions or billions of qubits. Right. So okay. that's the sort of, that's why we're still maybe in the research phase, but why everyone's sort of starting to get interested about it. Okay, so that's already something I didn't know. I Yeah, my awareness of quantum computing is uh, that in China, they're building a quantum computer and they've had some breakthroughs and there's other, uh, is there one in France and Germany? I'm not sure, but like that's my surface level awareness. So for me, it was like, oh, quantum computing is something that's coming down the line if these issues of stability can be solved. I didn't realize there are actual quantum computers now out there and being used. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So did you? Um, none. <laughs> <laughs> they exist we've sold two of them already so you know we've we've been in the news we were on the bbc for sort of selling our first quantum computing system sort of a few months ago to the uk ministry of defense so there's real activity happening and i was just telling uh saying earlier sort of it feels a lot like you know the imitation game so you know the yeah. sort of origins of computing because these systems aren't very big they're not very powerful so they're a bit like Alan Turing's machine, you know, back in the 1930s. They're sort of, they might be good for certain things, but you've got to really take a deep dive into the problem. I don't know if you remember the imitation game. I do, yeah. So if you imagine sort of he's running that big machine, it's not sort of solving anything. You're basically running out of time. I think they've got a 24-hour window to solve the problem. And every 24 hours it fails to solve the problem and they start over again. And that's yep. the sort of theme. And the way they got over that was eventually they found like some structure in the, I think in the message they were trying to decipher, they worked out that the first word is always going to be like, hello, or you know, hail Hitler or something like this. So, so they worked out some structure in the problem that made the complexity like a lot simpler. So they made, they found a way, a neat trick to sort of incorporate what they knew about the problem to make it a lot simpler. And that's sort of what's happening in quantum at the moment. So the computers we've got, the quantum computers we've got at the moment, they're not powerful enough to just be solve every problem. They're not you know, running quantum spreadsheets or anything like that. But what they are potentially being used for, like experts come in, they analyze the data, they see certain types of structure, they sort of work out that the problem looks a certain type of way, and then they can they can that then reduces the, the sort of the resources you need, the power of the quantum computer you need to be able to solve problems sooner than you might need if you hadn't have done that. Okay, before I ask you about that, just a quick fun fact for you, Danny. You might not know this. Uh, so anyone listening, uh, the Turing machine was in Bletchley Park, which is 30 minutes from here, where we are yeah. now in Bedford. Um, Hut 8 Mining, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, we'll have to fact check this, uh, Jamie Leatherton would kill me if I've got this wrong, but Hut 8, I think, is the name of the building which the Turing machine is in. Ah, that's very cool. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's because she told me that. And she said if she comes over, we have to take a visit. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah, and uh, Andrew Polstra also wants to go there. Andrew Polstra wanted to organise us to make a show in Bletchley Park, but they wouldn't allow us. <laughs> I can't believe people haven't heard as much as I thought about Bletchley Park. I mean, the, Well, the, the, the more kind of, um, I don't want to be rude, but like the nerdier types will have um, because all the kind of, yeah, the, the programmers that I've talked to in Bitcoin, they've all heard of it. Um, 
Danny is a surf beer monster, <laughs> Manu supporting That's my new bio. Neanderthal. <laughs> and also he was he was born a lot longer. Uh, you know, he's he's never seen Back to the Future. Fact. That's true. That's not true. No, no it is it's true. true. He's never seen Back to the Future. Please change that tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're gonna have a we're gonna have film night tonight. Retro um, film night. Retro film night. But yeah, so you can't rely on Danny for anything apart from being the best producer in the world. Uh, okay, wow. So I've got questions I didn't know I was gonna have because of this. Okay. But, Wait, hold on, how much does one of these cost? Uh, ranges. So most of them cost like tens of millions of dollars. So yours. You- well, what we're trying to do is do it a bit differently. Like we're a sort of plucky British startup trying to sort of reuse a lot of uh, telecoms, optical components that already exist. So our system, I won't say exactly how much, but like... Range. Give me a range. Less than a million dollars. Less than um, a million dollars. For the first systems to allow people to explore. So it's still on the sort of punch. And what's the like physical footprint of them and how big are they? Um, so a lot of people's, so what I'll talk about is sort of what people generally think a quantum computer looks like. And maybe your audience have seen, you get these sort of Cylinder. golden cylinders. Yeah. They're all cryo-cooled, so they're at temperatures, sort of super low temperatures, and they need all of that to work. Those are the systems that cost tens of millions of dollars. And, you know, governments might be interested in them, but not maybe most businesses and things. Um, our system looks quite different, so it costs a lot less than that. What we're trying to do is, because our technologies are different, we like we use light, we use photonics as a sort of platform for quantum computing rather than electrons and electronics, so it makes it different. Our system is sort of a rack-mounted We try and make our system look like a server. So you basically. call it a system, not a computer? Uh, yeah, I mean, because I think, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a technicality, just because it's trying to solve, um, I mean, it's a computer, yeah. Ah, Okay. Yeah, yeah, there we I go. Mean, it looks like a okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we, we really try and push the message that quantum computers don't need to look like they're from space, which is sort of how a lot of, a lot of quantum computers look a certain way because that's how they need to look to work in the way they do. Mm. But a lot of people in the sort of normal computing industry can't really see that working. You know, a lot of your sort of audience will, I don't know, they'll have server racks, they'll be mining Bitcoin and all this type of stuff. They'll know what a computer looks like and a quantum computer looks just completely different. In our view, it doesn't need to. So our system, we've been deliberately trying to make our computer look similar to what's already out there so that people can just plug it into their server. They can use it to try a few problems. It just looks and, and it can, you people can work with it in the same way that they might work with just a normal server unit. Are there many competitors out there making similar size, similar, you know, let's say smaller business, not huge millions of qubits? Yeah, there's a, there's a mixture. I mean, in total, there's not that many quantum computing companies. So right. there's probably sort of, I don't know, 30 to 50 maybe worldwide. Uh-huh. Sort of, And they cover new types of software or, and they also cover sort of hardware. So th- there's not that many companies out there sort of doing quantum computing altogether. In terms of the types of companies that are similar to our stuff, it's quite a very, very rare. Okay. Uh, hardly, there's probably a handful, maybe sort of three to five companies who are trying to move beyond the sort of $25 million type machine to build systems that are cheaper and more accessible. But there are $25 million machines out there that can be bought, which aren't the kind of like big Chinese. Oh, yeah. It's like an intermediate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So NASA, I mean, D-Wave is probably the first quantum computing company. Any of your audience who've looked at quantum computing will probably have come across D-Wave. Their systems cost $25 million, we believe. They sold a few. They sold one to NASA. They sold one to some US sort of defense sort of agency. I think they sold one to Google. 
but yeah, just those companies that can afford to take a massive bet on just one machine. And I guess in our view, to for quantum computing to be as useful as we everyone thinks it'll be, like game changing, it needs to be sort of out there. It needs to be, I hate to use the word, but like democratized. Yeah. It needs to be accessible to people who are running normal servers and just need quantum on the side to give them a bit of performance boost. So yeah, so that was kind of leading to my next question. Why would you buy one of these? Give, you don't have to, you can give me a, I don't know, a fake scenario so you don't expose a client, but give me an example of a client who would want one, where this would fit within their computer infrastructure and what the problem this is solving that other computers can't. Yeah, so we, most of our clients are always are all working at the forefront of like what you can do with a classical computer. So they're all companies that own massive uh, data centers themselves. Like, you know, well, there's one client in the energy industry that just owns one of the world's biggest supercomputers. So for their own purposes, they do sort of, they identify oil, oil refineries and, and things like this. So those companies are quite good because they already know what's possible and what's not possible with even the best classical computers. They're at that real forefront of what you can do. And so they talk to us, they're interested in working with quantum computing to identify certain parts of sort of what they're trying to do that can be accelerated with a quantum computer. And so it, in terms of sort of what an interaction looks like, it's pretty exploratory, to be honest, because no one really knows. So we can talk a bit in, in, a, in a while about, you know, future threats to encryption. There are some things out there that everyone knows about. A quantum computer will be used for those types of problems. But those types of problems, like we talked about, need millions of billions of qubits. So they're not systems that will be available anytime soon. The sort of real, the really interesting space at the moment, the sort of arms race, if you like, is taking these systems that aren't anywhere near as big as you might need to break encryption or anything like that. They're much, much smaller, but they can be applied. You can find sort of structure in the problem to apply them for like short-term applications. But to find those things, there's a lot of exploration. We have to go through a ton of, like one of our, you know, the customer we've got in the energy industry threw at us like loads of optimization use cases. So they've got big supply chain network, um, they've got oil tankers moving around, they've got goods moving between different ports, and all of that type of problem is at the limit of what you can do with a normal computer. You basically have to put up with a good guess, and you can't do a lot better than that. What, what, what are the normal computers failing on? Is it latency? Is it a uh, number of things it can process simultaneously? Yeah, um, mostly it sort of comes down to the complexity, so sort of number of parameters, but sort of a bit more deeper than that. It, it Computers are really good at very highly complex problems where there are a load of parameters and all of those parameters are interlinked with each other. So like I take a portfolio, uh, you know, one part of my portfolio might change and that will have a knock-on effect on all of many other areas of my portfolio. So problems that are very complex, like there are lots of interlinking dependencies in your data, that type of sort of super rich type of data is like really hard to sort of solve with a normal computer because you can imagine normal computer just likes to go through has one parameter changes that moves on to the next parameter changes that a system where if you change one parameter everything else changes like normal computers really struggle to solve because they like to do things sort of linearly like what check one thing move on to the next thing so quantum computers in comparison have this sort of weird ability to be able to solve many parameters at the same time i mean if you want you want yes. the physics? I want, I want, the, I want everything. <laughs> okay. Literally everything. Uh, uh, and just, just before we go into that, it's, it's quantum computing 
quantum mechanics are these all part of the same the weird quantum world is it all the same thing yeah so if you want to go into the depths of it so hell yeah so quantum mechanics quantum physics is like sort of the new dawn of physics so sort of around the time of einstein these other guys like dirac and heisenberg didn't didn't einstein say it was weird he doesn't understand like he was freaked out by it einstein famously didn't really believe it yeah there's this thing called uh, hidden variable theory, which sort of says that all this quantum stuff isn't really happening. You just don't know enough about the system. It's just basically, you just it's a sort of good guess about stuff you don't know. So famously, Einstein didn't believe in quantum, but late, weirdly, because he didn't believe in it, he actually helped move the field forward. He came up with a few sort of, I don't know, experiments that he wanted people to do to prove that it was really real. And people did them and showed that Einstein was wrong. So weirdly, mm. by Einstein, through Einstein being wrong, he sort of helped to show that quantum was real and help move it forward. What was that famous um, quote of his? He, find that quote of Einstein's with regards... He had a famous quote with regards to quantum, something about... Is it God does, didn't, doesn't play dice or something? Or No, no, that was something else. Uh, Einstein said that if quantum mechanics were correct, then the world would be crazy. Is that the one? No, there's another one. He just said it about <laughs> it being weird. Like he doesn't understand it. I can't remember. He just didn't like the... F- I mean, inherit. I will say, when you get into the details of quantum, when I give like lectures and stuff on this, I say to people, if you think you understand this, you haven't understood it. You, none of you should be sitting there going, oh yeah, yeah it makes complete sense. And, and it's quantum a thing whereby like, people have figured out what it does, but there's no logic to why it works. Or are they actually figuring out the logic? No, people don't. You get to a, the depths of quantum... And at one point, you, you're into, you know, what makes up our universe. People don't know, don't know how quantum works. They just know that it does work. It's been proven with tons of experiments. Is this because um, we're just in a simulation and it's part of, <laughs> part of the supercomputer running us? Yeah, I will say we've had a few sort of moments in the office with a few beers where, you know, one person starts up and like, what is, what's really happening? And we go down that road of like, you know, philosophy and working out what the universe is made up of and stuff. By the way, we try and sort of not do that when we're trying to build a quantum computer because you just get way too distracted by all the interesting stuff. I think it's amazing. I would I would do work experience there if I could. This sounds fascinating. Did you find any work? Oh, I'll dig it out later. He, he uh, just didn't like how random it was. And the fact that you you don't know. So quantum all relies on probabilities. Uh, and I could make try and give you an... Oh. Should we do a 101 on the like the physics as much as you can do? Yeah, this, I can have a go. Yeah, explain it like we're three and a half. As long as you promise to interrupt me and tell me I'm not making sense. It, I, I, I built a career off it. <laughs> So the, maybe the, the core thing about quantum is that two things... So one thing that you don't think should be able to do two things at once. Can do two things at once. I probably lost you already. No. I always describe it as light switches, right? So people in electronics, they all know about binary circuits. Things are on or off. Like light switches. We all know a light switch can be on and off. So on or off. Um, that's like the normal world we live. Like things are, bi- things are binary, one or zero. In quantum... You know, the weird thing about everything quantum is you engineer these systems that can be one and zero at the same time. And this is the bit where I said, you know, I'm giving a lecture on this and people go and like nod their head like, yeah, I understand. You really shouldn't understand that something can be one and zero. So I always sort of describe it. If you're imagining a light switch and you're like flicking the light switch backwards and forwards or you're trying to hold the light switch in between, you're not, you're not really allowed to do that. It should be as weird as sort of imagining like to me to say, okay, there's a room and there's two exits to that room you as a person pick one exit or another exit. That makes sense to us. That's binary. That's the world we live. In quantum, if you were a quantum thing, 
you'd be able to leave through both exits. At the same time. At the same I've time. Seen that because that's, that's the light slit experiment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the basis of all things quantum. So the fact that these things that we, we have, we use single photons, so single particles of light. And we do the, the Young's double split. We do the light thing where things... So basically, do you know we, about this, Danny? Yeah, I remember reading about it. I mean, I don't understand it, but I know no, what I don't you mean. Understand it. Well, the, the main point is you, you really shouldn't, none of us understand this. Like, none of, none of us sort of take a look at this and go, oh, yeah, it makes complete sense. Light goes through in two different directions at the same time. Like, all of us, all of us sort of physicists working on this stuff, we all know that the light has to go one way or the other. It has to go out one door or the other door. Can't, like, you know, whenever anyone tries to think about going out of both doors, because these things are not divisible. So this, what we're doing is sort of, the reason Einstein didn't like it, it doesn't make sense. So we take these single pho single photons. What single, is a photon? So it's a single unit of light. So if you imagine light bulbs, sort of lasers, everything like that, what we, sort of we, we think of when we think of light, is all made up of trillions and trillions of photons. So single particles sort of flying at us. And this is now in the other sort of weird quantum world of maybe people have been taught, you know, in their upbringing about light being a wave. The other way of looking at it is a particle. So... Just imagine every light bulb is emitting loads of these fundamental particles, these things called photons. So what we do in our company is just isolate just one of those single particles. And you promised to sort of interrupt me if yeah, this yeah, is no, starting no, to fine. be no, no, not useful. Good. So we isolate just one of those particles and this thing cannot be divided. It can't go in two directions at once. It has to pick like what well, classically. So, so when photons are hitting us, yep. it's trillions of individual ones. It's, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And how do you how do you extract a single photon? Uh, and how do you take hold of that? Weirdly, I get asked this question all the time. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty much what our business is made up. Uh, make, we spend most of our time just doing this. You uh, you basically take a really well controlled light bulb. You know exactly how many photons it's produced, and you just do a ton of filtering. I guess that's the probably easiest way to describe until it. Until you just get one. Until you're just left with one. How do you know that um, one has shot out? Uh, do you see it? Well, no, because the, we'll get into the middle of weird quantum stuff. You're not allowed to look at the photon because if you look at it, it destroys all of the quantum effects. So the, the, what I was going to get on to is when you, send, when you send a single photon at a mirror, yeah. so, so imagine this mirror can reflect half of the photons and it, doesn't, and it lets through half of the photons. The photon doesn't do one or the other. I remember, I keep going yeah. on about this. It can't be divided, this photon. It has to pick one or the other, or at least so we thought. But um, instead... The, the, the light, the single photon, becomes a quantum thing where it does both. So it both gets reflected and it goes straight through the mirror at the same time. So this is this thing. Now it's a quantum thing. So this is now... And basically, our computer is built of loads of those operations where one photon gets split millions of different ways into this big sort of maze-like thing. But it's still one photon, but one photon has been basically split up to cover all paths in your maze, if that makes sense. This show is brought to you by the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Corey, Yan, and Brady for years, and they've been pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin Conference a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference alongside my friends Natalie Brunel and Stefan Navera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. They've got a surfing simulator and loaded with other events and parties 
before and after the event. They're bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation estate adoption, mining and lightning. And you're not going to want to miss this inaugural Pacific Bitcoin conference. I know it's going to be a special event. Now, Swan are offering a huge 30% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to PacificBitcoin.com and use the code PETER at checkout. That is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETER. Next up, it is Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you as a Bitcoiner to take control of your Bitcoin and the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions, and the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to check this out, if you want to purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is shop.ledger.com. Next up, it is Big Casino. So they are now running a very cool competition where you can join me at the North London Derby, Arsenal v Tottenham, hopefully to see Arsenal absolutely spank Tottenham. Now they have created a Bitcoin box at the Emirates Stadium and they're going to be giving away two tickets to the match. It's on October the 1st and to find out how to enter, just check out their pinned tweet at twitter.com forward slash bitcasinoio. That is twitter.com forward slash b-i-t-c-a-s-i-n-o-i-o. Also, please remember to gamble responsibly. Also today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With the recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only Ledin are a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. I am using their services. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D. N dot io. So has the photon has it replicated itself? No, no. I mean, this is what I mean. If you really understand this stuff, I will say, any of your audience, you should not be sitting there going, "Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense." Okay. This okay. photon is still one photon. It's not been replicated. It's one photon, um, but because it's quantum mechanical, it can take loads of paths at the same time. How do you know it's taking those um, parts? Uh, there's a really, I mean, that's a bit more subtle. This is back to the Einstein, sort of him coming up with an experiment to prove it. Basically, uh, there are different outcomes because if the photon is taking loads of different paths rather than just one path, um, it can do really weird things. It can interfere with itself. So two possible paths of the photon might sort of at a later time, in, imagine this big maze, the, yeah. the photon's passing through this big maze, Sometimes two, two different paths of the maze will come together. Then like another part of... They'll interfere with each other and produce an effect that you don't get if the, pho, if the photon's just going through the maze like one at a time. Um, 
So yeah, anyway. How, how how was quantum mechanics even? How did people figure out figure it out? Like what happened um, that made somebody go? Oh, you know, what? there's some weird shit going on here. Uh, there were low, so back at like the turn of the century, so around yeah. 1900s, there were just a lot of experiments that people didn't didn't really make sense. People tried to sort of um, a bit like the 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 double slit experiment. So there's there's an experiment that you can do, uh, which makes sense when you've got lots of lights. So people tried to pass. Uh, light through these two slits at the same time and you get this sort of weird pattern and then slowly this experiment people slowly dialed down the light power until they just had one photon and at this point they were like okay the light will choose one part one it'll choose to go through one door or the other one and they still observed the same effect as when they had lots of photons going through two doors okay i probably lost you but anyway there there were loads of experiments that didn't make sense and around like 1900s, sort of Einstein and all those types of people suddenly sort of went, well, hang on a minute, like what we think we know doesn't work. We need this. And this whole new theory emerged sort of to try and explain what they th- were observing, what they were looking at. So, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what people, um, in the field, people describe this as like quantum 1.0. And all of those effects get built into how people design semiconductor chips. So you can't design a like modern day computer a semiconductor without understanding quantum. Um, but what... Because, so, hold on. Because... Because it, it, I mean, it sort of describes how all electrons pass through materials. Okay. It describes all semiconductors. You can't really describe like a transistor, like the sort of fundamental thing in a computer without understanding quantum. Um, but what I was going to get onto, so now sort of, sort of turning to quantum computing. So all of that stuff has existed for like 100 years. People have known that this really weird physics has, is there. But slowly over the last 100 years, people have been able to get better and better at actually making these quantum effects. So actually creating these pieces of light that are in two places at once. And so, I mean, that's the start of a quantum computer. So if we take an electron or a photon that's in two places at once, that's a single qubit. That's a single qubit quantum computer that you can start use using. And now we're at the stage of having, in our company, we've got a 10 qubit machine. So we've got 10 single photons, and all of those are in two places at once or more places at once. And IBM have got a 100 qubit machine. So all of a sudden, they've got 100 sort of, in their case, sort of electrons all exhibiting quantum effects. Yeah, I'm going with you at the moment. <laughs> and why does observing that break the quantum effect of it? Um, I I don't know if there's a good way to describe that. <laughs> Sorry. So, so other than just to say, like, all this stuff, just it can't be observed. Like weirdly, you um, mean you mean if when you say can't be observed in that if I if you were looking at your eyes or what destroys it? Yeah. So if you were looking at, but this, if you had your if you had your back turned, it would be fine. Yeah, yeah. That's and- fucking weird, man. <laughs> I feel like I need a joint. And I, don't even, I don't even smoke weed. Yeah, that's why a lot of physicists look a bit spaced out when they talk about this. Hold, hold on. So, but it's only if a human looks at it. Oh, uh, well. Or, uh, or a camera. Do you know, no one really knows. I mean, this is this is now at the limits of like philosophy. Like, what is, this is what I mean about no one really understanding, like, what is this? Yeah, but hold on. Um, if, if no one's looking at it, it works because your computing works. Your quantum computer works. Yeah. But if you were looking at the photon in your quantum computer, your quantum computer wouldn't work. Correct, yeah. But if a camera looked at it and not a human... Yep, 
uh, it's as good as, as I mean, it's, a, it's as good as it still destroys the experiment. Oh, so, so anything, so even a dog, if a dog was looking at it, it would destroy it. Okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I've never, I, we don't allow animals in our lab. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean that's, to me, that's an obvious test. <laughs> that's um, why you're not. Jesus you know what Christ. They, I, someone must have done that experiment. Yeah. I, I can't. But I don't, I, even now I'm like, hold on, what do you mean? If, if I look at it, it, it destroys it. Do you know, I mean... Is, yeah. it cause, is it because the photon wants to come to me? Uh, I don't... I'll, I'll be honest and just saying this is like a whole massive area of sort of philosophy that I... I but hold on, I, I can't put philosophy and computing together because computing to me is maths. Uh, it, either, it either does its thing or doesn't. Philosophy is like, yeah, it's like figuring this shit out. Well, so what I mean is that uh, when we're building our quantum computers, we deliberately just don't think about all this stuff. We don't. We just know all this stuff works. There are loads of rules that tell you how it works. We don't know why. No, you don't know why. I mean, the same... Actually, I'm trying to think... I mean, I guess there are loads of comparisons in companies where you don't really know what you, what's going on, but you don't care because you're just trying to build a product. It's my whole life, really. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's the same as what we're trying to do. We're trying to just... Um, we just harness... We, we take advantage of this 100 years of research of like you know, how this stuff works why, without some worrying so much about why it works. And that's good because we can still build computers from all this stuff. There's loads of weird stuff that happens. How does that get turned into a computer? Like what is it, what's the part of the computer you're replacing? I mean, sort of fundamentally it changes everything. Every, it changes the very concept of computing as we know it. So, okay. I mean, the, the nice comparison is all computers are based on binary. They're all like ones and zeros. And quantum is just a whole new sort of paradigm, a whole new way of programming, a whole new way of building a computer that doesn't rely on ones and zeros. So it doesn't use existing programming methods. It doesn't run like, you know, doesn't run Excel, doesn't run Microsoft. It's, it's a completely different way of looking at a computer because it's based on, it's not based on ones and zeros. It's not based on like how all other computers are built. It's like a fundamental rethink about how you build a computer um, and why what what is the fundamental change you're getting here because it because ones and zeros are sequential um, so everything has to have in a happen in a logical sequential timeline but in a quantum computer things can happen at the same time yeah that's right so trying to just just describe it like normal computer i don't know you're trying to add up two numbers so you've got a one plus a zero you know it gives you one um that's sort of you know, one thing you can do with two bits of a normal computer. With a quantum computer, you can still do that. You can still have a quantum one and you can still have a quantum zero. But you can also have one qubit being like 50% one, 50% zero. And the second qubit, the second bit of information being 25% one and zero, you know, and 75% zero. So you could, it gives you like another, I don't know, another sort of parameter, another... It's almost like another dimension of it. Yeah. That's probably the best way to look at it. It's, it's just another, it gives you an extra sort of yeah, dimension of your data. So it makes every bit, uh, it, it gives every bit in your system more combinations of what's possible. So you've got two bits. There's, I'm going to fail doing this. There's like four, four ways you can arrange two bits. With a quantum computer, there's, well, there's still four, but you know, as the number grows, the number of different ways you can arrange two, three, four qubits is much greater than the number of ways you can arrange two, three, four bits. I, so I, this, I, I keep getting distracted by the physics side of things. Yeah. I just try to describe it. It's just completely, it's, you shouldn't really look at a quantum computer and say, 
well, you know, how does it compare with a normal computer? It doesn't really replace a normal computer. It's sort of something completely different. I mean, back to our sort of customers we work with to try and look at this stuff, we spend half of our time asking them to come up with things that they had tried to do with a normal computer, but just forgotten a long, long time ago because it was just nowhere near possible. Will there be a time in the future where our personal computers will be quantum computers? Uh, I, I, I don't think I don't think so because this is a this is a hack for specific goals that you want to achieve. Yeah. So a, yeah, you found a way of of, pro, of of creating things that you can process and solve problems in a different way. That's right. Yeah, and maybe a good if any of your audience are into sort of hardware, probably meant not many of them are, but you know, there's a new there's sort of GPUs which sort of started life, if you're a sort of gamer, like GPU started life because it helps you like run computer simulations, helps you render 3D objects. Mm -hmm. But people worked out that these like really specific like pieces of hardware were quite good for... Mining cryptocurrency. Mining cryptocurrency. <laughs> like, and, you know, sort of doing one very specific operation, which is sort of multiplying matrices. And, and now that sort of spawned a whole like NVIDIA sort of, I forget what they are, like $200 billion company just selling hardware that just does one thing really, really well. Like, and, are you building a quantum ASIC? Uh, no, <laughs> we are not. Can uh, we talk after the show? I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a way of making us a lot of money. <laughs> Have you looked into this? Because that is one specific task. Yeah, um, it's it's really interesting. I, I guess on that side of things. So, I mean, our most quantum hardware isn't. We use ASICs to drive our our hardware but it's not the quantum hardware we use because the hardware we use is just so completely different from everything that exists currently is different what's sort of cool about this space is that basically everyone's looking again at how you solve sort of computing sort of problems and like because they're looking at things how you do it with a quantum machine they're just looking at how you might do it completely differently and it comes up with like loads of in fact Fujitsu have got a really cool project working with ASICs it's not quantum at all but Sort of, they spent a bit of time looking at quantum, and they learned a new way to drive ASICs. Are we we are we talking about different things with ASICs? Are you talking about Possibly. generalized ASICs? I'm talking about Bitcoin mining ASICs. I'm talking about generalized ASICs. So, the, <laughs> so another thing I learned today: ASIC is not a Bitcoin term; it is a computer. Did you not know that? No, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, uh, it's application specific. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean it's kind of obvious, but no, no. So uh, we have ASIC miners. Grab one up and. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen one of these ASIC miners? There's a company like Bitmain. They produce them. They're up to like an S19 is their latest machine. And they have one job, okay? So their job is to mine Bitcoin. And they keep running essentially a, it's a random number generator essentially to try and find the specific uh, hash yeah. to find the Bitcoin. I say it like an idiot. Um, but that's all they do. Awesome. And they try and do gazillions of you know, attempts over and over and over and once one finds it a block gets found and then we move on to the next block in the blockchain can you build one of these for me and how much and what uh, can I <laughs> so i tell, I tell can, you what I we would do exclusive rights. <laughs> yeah. i tell you what we would do if you were a customer of us or any of the other quantum computing companies we'd take a look at the problem you're trying to solve like which has been you know mining bitcoin bitcoin and what that looks like and we would try and design our own quantum asic to to sort of solve that problem, taking advantage of all the quantum stuff, all the we design a quantum program that helps you look at whether you can mine Bitcoin faster, more efficiently. So, based on um, what I've just told you, there is enough there for you to go. This is something we could look at. 
maybe yeah i mean we i don't know <laughs> but, but the price of one of these is what like 15 grand well even less now like five grand in the market oh there you go yeah, yeah. but if the quantum's so good yeah you might only need one so i mean if you've been if anyone was serious about this what we would do is we'd get a team so we have a team of you know really excellent um quantum people who are also sort of pretty good on the machine learning or whatever side and we give them that problem and it takes probably about three months to just have a first look see to work out if there's anything there so imagine we're trying to you know i am serious <laughs> how much how much so what do you charge for no i mean i've got a feeling you you might have people reaching out to you after this <laughs> yeah. um what, when do you charge people for that three month research? it depends i mean we're trying to run a business so, you know, you, you can imagine what it's like. We yeah. try and work out, you know, how strategic do we think this is? How, how likely is it that it will lead to you know, something that's going to help us sell hardware and, and run a business? And we take a judgment on that. So, yeah. Huh. What do you think, Danny? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, is it something that can, like, work alongside, like, a traditional... Like, could you have a quantum element of, like, a Bitcoin mining ASIC? Yeah. So, I mean... What I will say is, I'm probably sure if there are any quantum people listening in the room, they might be screaming at me, being like, "It's not possible." They'll be we don't screaming know. at us. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, somebody already, <laughs> somebody already must have looked at this anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure people probably have. Yeah, but um, every, the, the field is changing all the time. People are learning a lot more every day about what can be done, what's possible, and what's not possible with machines. Possible today, not possible. <laughs> you, you created a new word. <laughs> yeah, Actually, so, quite efficiencies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you don't, yeah, you don't know, and. Um, you know, I'm pretty excited about, but back to your point, what everyone's, the sort of route to try and do something with these machines in the short term, bearing in mind, you've only got like the best machines got hundred qubits is to combine it with what you're trying to do already. So just imagine sort of palming off very small parts of your problem to a quantum machine, but so maintaining the current like ASIC, whatever you're trying to do normally, but just maybe like your, I don't know, your computer programmers have worked out that one very small part of that problem is like really, really hard, or the you know the the, the sort the sort of core of the problem that means that it takes longer than is your bottleneck. And what people sort of the state of the art in this industry is looking at: okay, if we put that in, we solve that particular small part of the problem on the quantum system. Can can you do it faster? So that's the holy grail. That's the sort of really exciting short-term race on in quantum computing at the moment. Like put high-end classical ASIC or whatever uh, classical computer side by side with a quantum machine, like allow them to pass information super fast between each other. Does that provide any benefit? And the answer so far, to be honest, has been no. <laughs> so this stuff isn't providing you know, any, but there are applications emerging that look sort of interesting enough that, and by the way, as soon as anyone solves, shows this, as soon as someone says, okay, this is something that is possible in the short term, that's it. You've sort of, you you're already on the way to demonstrating value with a quantum computer, which is... If you, if you solve this on the mining front, you present the risk then on being able to hack people's private keys, don't you? Because it's a similar-ish risk. I mean, you're asking me. I think you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but then I guess it could just speed up mining. It could just give you an edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, if, if the miners, they're essentially just spinning out numbers and trying to find the random one, which essentially allows them to unlock the block. And I don't know what that is, terahashes per second they talk about, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what we're um, at the moment. You know, it might be a case of if you were doing this, you just speed it up so you can make an ASIC. You can, I don't know, you can add a like 10, 20, 30% edge to all the other ASICs, which probably wouldn't justify the cost. 
Possibly. And yeah. this is the world that Quantum's in at the moment. So, and to be honest, a lot of our customers, the way it works best is if they throw at us loads of computational problems and we go, no, 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 none of these are possible. Oh, that one looks possible. None of these are possible. Or they might be possible, but they'll take a machine which is much larger than we've got today. Yeah. And actually to the point about decryption, that's one something that everyone talks about quantum computing being useful for. Uh, that's, that's actually not... That, those, the, the machines that are needed to break like RSA encryptions or even sort of your sort of hashing type um, problems, you need billions of qubits. So, you know, I've been talking about yeah, machines so that have hundreds of qubits. What, what's the one? You've gone, you've gone from one to 10. Does it go in factors of 10 or are you just constantly talking about that? Uh, so that's sort of, that's currently the thing that's debated and researched the most at the moment. So sort of within Orca, I think within most companies, they're aiming at, sort of breakthroughs that give you like a step change in the number of qubits that you might have. So everyone's looking, everyone sort of knows that at the moment you're going from one qubit to two to three to, I don't know, 64 to 128. There's still a world away from billions of qubits or millions of qubits at the point where you're start, starting to solve some really juicy algorithms. Go, going from one to 10, what, what is the complexity from getting from one to 10? Um, so, I mean, on that side, it's, I mean, these things are all hard, but one to 10 is fairly straightforward. A lot of companies have done that now. Lots of different platforms have got to. What did you solve to do that though? Like what is, what is the complexity, um, complex problem that's being solved? So for us, I mean, it all relates to the hardware, the machines we're building. For us, we, I mean, to be honest, we're just trying to make very high quality single photons. So what I talked about earlier, we're just trying to, for us, the reason why yeah, it's hard to get to 10 it's sort of related to how easily it is, easy it is to make single photons. So it's sort of like that. It's like an engineering challenge. Just can we make a single photon? Yes. Okay, can we scale that up to make 10 single photons at the same time? It's that what, type what, of problem. And when you say at the same time, is it 10 different sources of photons or is it one source creating 10 photons? Yeah, 10 different sources of photons. And, and are those 10 photons going around the same maze or a separate maze each? So all of those photons will go through the same maze, and they're, but they'll all interfere with each other. They'll all overlap. So you know the problem, when I described it earlier, I talked about one photon can take lots of different paths through the same maze. Yeah. Imagine how much more complicated it can get if you then have two photons, and both of those photons can take every path through the maze. But every time that they overlap, every time they meet those two paths, something weird and quantum happens to make it even more complicated. And now imagine like 10 photons going through that same maze. Every those, everyone, sorry if I've lost no, you. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm fine. <laughs> every one of those photons can take every path through the maze. But every single time any of those photons meet, there's like an interaction. It changes. So all of those 10 photons are all interdependent with each other. And now imagine that you can program that system. And then that becomes the heart of a completely new type of building a computer which is a quantum computer. And, and how do they carry information and how is information extracted from this? Um, good question. I mean, so, I mean, you, you insert them into the system. So you've got, got a bit of inf information encoded in how and when you insert your single photons into this big maze system. You can change the maze. So it's a bit like, what's that movie? Like Inception, I think it is, yep. where they really cheesy movie where they're like building mazes and things. Half of this job is to basically build... So the maze basically sort of in an abstract kind of way represents the calculation you're trying to do. 
I'll probably no, lost no, you now. No, but, no, uh, just... So anyway, so that you, you, can, you can design the maze, you can change the maze, you can change the maze in real time. So And that maze structure basically reflects the problem that you're trying to solve. And this is like deep, deep maths I'm trying to describe now in a sort of... Yeah, yeah. And then... And then what you basically do is you measure the outcome of the maze. So you can see where the photons appear. And at that point, you can measure them, which stops them being quantum. And all of a sudden, you can basically find out the very exotic and weird many paths that all of these photons have taken through the maze. And if, you, if, if that's completely lost you, I'll just say that's, that's, that represents a way to carry out a calculation. So you, basically, you can make your maze look like I don't know, a Bitcoin mining operation. You can make your maze sort of, and the outcome of the maze, rep, so if, you, if you successfully navigate your way through the maze, it represents a correct solution to a, a you know, mining piece of Bitcoin. Huh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I barely understand most of what you're saying, but at the same time, like, I, I think I'm, I'm taking a slight step forward. Okay, I think I understand a bit more. So therefore, to go to 100 qubits is a factor of 10, complication from 10. Yeah. And is it, sorry, I'm just trying to figure this out in my head. Can calculations go wrong? Because it seems, like, ones and zeros are pretty logical. It's binary. Because mm. this isn't ones and zeros, can calculations go wrong? Yes, yeah. So uh, actually, that's one of the major challenges of quantum computing, because everything's basic, sort of analog, it's not one or zero, which is sort of noise-free. It's in between in this weird state. You end up introducing a load of noise, and that's the that's that's the main challenge facing quantum computing at Accuracy. the moment. Accuracy, Accuracy and the fact that the bigger the system gets, like if you go from a hundred qubits to a billion, there's going to be loads of noise that you're going to add into that system that you can't correct. So you, because you can't look at this thing. You can't sort of correct for noise the way you would do with a normal computer. Okay. So you just have to do it in one shot and you have to make your noise low enough. Or you have to do something like error correction, which is another whole other field in itself. Um, so you have to do all this stuff you know, in one shot without looking at it. And that is the toughest. That's the reason that a billion qubit quantum computer doesn't exist today. Somebody who was, I can't, I can't remember somebody on the show, on our show once said, it's probably unlikely there ever will be one. It is too complicated. There's too 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 many issues to be solved. That yeah, it's very unlikely. But it's certainly in our lifetime. I'm a bit more of an optimist than that. I, I think it's not without risk. People sort of describe it as the moon moon landing of our generation. Like okay. it's that. I mean, these systems are so complicated. It's it's that type of big deal, right? I mean, when we landed a person on the moon, it was it took a huge engineering feat to get them there and return them safely. Building a quantum computer requires the same level of like engineering probably the same amount of money as it required to put a man on the moon but at the same time like if you could if you could build a quantum computer like that then you could just just do some tremendous things that just aren't even possible today like you could find cures to cancer you could break in encryption i mean the but reason that's not a good thing well okay yeah but um i think there's i think i think there's this um it's a bit like with bitcoin right we talk about bitcoin uh censorship resistant money it's freedom money yeah, if every time somebody talks about a criminal or a terrorist using Bitcoin, we talk about an activist or you know somebody living under authoritarian regime has the benefits from it. So there's this this scenario where you can see the good side and the bad side. I think the breaking of encryption is is basically bad because mm. yeah, people need privacy. But I think the curing of cancer is obviously good. Yeah, but that's quite a bold statement to say uh, having a quantum computer could solve, could cure cancer. 
Is it because of the the volume of research it can do? Is it why is that? Uh, so what I guess is maybe it's a bit too far of a step to. Um, yeah, but you've got to stand by that now. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to hold me to where's my cure to cancer Hitchin, in ten years time? <laughs> Hitchin scientist solves cancer, <laughs> cures cancer with machine. What I, I guess what I mean is that when you get into the depths of sort of like trying to design a new drug. So try and, if you're trying to design a new cure for cancer, uh, and by the way, I don't do this, like, you know, day job's busy enough as it is trying yet. to build a quantum computer yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, people tell us you're trying to design a new drug. That's a quite a complicated thing. It's probably quite a big molecule. It's working inside of your body. It's probably, you know, it's quite complicated to work out what's going on there. So the way that we get around that at the moment is we just sort of do a reasonable job of working out what it'll do on a computer, and then you basically feed it to a human. So you sort of, you, you do a lot of trial and error in clinical trials by, you know, actually trying out drugs and seeing how, how they work and things like that. That makes it quite hard for us to work out, are there new molecules, are there new drugs out there that we haven't even begun to explore because they're so different from everything else out there that we just would never have thought it. And we certainly wouldn't have been confident enough to give it to a human. So, and that all stems to the, to the fact that you can't, it's very hard to model big molecules, big systems using existing computers. And But quantum computers are much better at doing that. So the reason why you find it hard to model a big molecule is it's... Lots of variables. Lots of variables. It's a really quantum mechanical system. Like, the, you know, if you've done chemistry, you know, if anyone cares, there's lots of uh, interactions between molecules. That's all. It's all quantum stuff. So a quantum computer sort of can is much better at modeling all of those many variables, all of those quantum effects. So you can imagine a day where you can design a drug from start to finish just inside a computer, and then you can therefore hit a button and you can say, okay, this last drug did this one thing, let's just explore just using a computer how a, how a drug will work and what types of things it might do. And when, so obviously the, then the leap to curing cancer is a bit of a big one, but then you know if you've got that type of ability to just work out like design drugs from scratch to be solving certain problems, it just enhances sort of drug discovery, just no end and sort of all the rest of it. And and so, yeah, no one's identified a cure for cancer that you would be able to solve if you had a quantum computer, but you can still imagine if you had that type of power, you'd be able to do that type of like really impressive calculation. Uh, how much uh, synergy is there between the w world of AI development and um, quantum computing? And is it something that will eventually come together as, as kind of like a combined science? Yeah, I, I mean, the sort of jury's out at the moment. I mean, people are really interested in that. When I mentioned about quantum computing's having lots of near-term applications, mostly what people talk about is applying quantum systems to machine learning and artificial intelligence. So um, there's quite, I mean, there's a lot of active research at the moment. Uh, it will take you know one breakthrough to finally find the computing system that can be applied to machine learning, but it's sort of it actually is quite it's quite easy to compare like a quantum computer. It's quite easy to imagine it being used for machine learning, right? Even though sort of no one's had that big leap to show that a quantum system could provide speed up. So the whole the whole field is sort of wrapped up in this quest, if you like, to sort of show that a quantum system is better than what's already out there, like a classical uh, NVIDIA you know, GPU or something like that. Okay. No one's actually done, no one's actually shown that speed up yet, but there's a lot of, lot of potential for it. This show is brought to you by Wasabi. 
who I will be now using to make sure my Bitcoin is private and I'm very excited about using their software. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as the wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to CoinJoin, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the CoinJoin, and then you can spend freely. Or the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi 2.0, so you don't leak your IP address. And there are no more minimum denominations, so you can CoinJoin any amount, and there's no more change. So any amount you receive from a CoinJoin is private. Privacy is something I've been taking more seriously recently, and with Wasabi 2.0, this has made it so much easier. So definitely go and check it out. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Next up, it's Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only ever buying. Come on, we're hodlers. We're not sellers. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've been buying a lot of those recently. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are now also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up is my new sponsors, the Texas Blockchain Council. Now, on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council are putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. Now, you know how much I love out there. I'm going to be attending. The event is two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. And day two has top policy leaders from the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, CFTC commissioners. What more could you ask for? Yes, I'm not just promoting this. I'll be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies and interviewing someone very important on stage. So make sure you book your ticket, come to the event, let's hang out. To find out more, head over to texasblockchainsummit.org and use the discount code PETERMC20 for a 20% discount at checkout and let them know that I sent you. This offer is valid until the end of October. Also, we have BCB Group. BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients and all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this like me. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. And in the world of these massive super... Uh, quantum computers that like i've seen the big cylinders like like the tubes coming off the, you know they look like something they look like something out of like the, the 40s or something it's like weird like but uh, in that world and I, I, like i said i'm very aware of the chinese one um because i think everyone wants to know what they're up to because they're probably very secretive uh yeah here we go yeah 
I call it golden, the golden chandelier. <laughs> actually, um, actually quite beautiful, really. What is, what, is, what is going on here? Can you explain this image to us? Yeah, so um, I will say that the only quantum bit, this is all just one big fridge. So a lot of quantum computers rely on being super low temperatures, so close to what's called absolute zero, the lowest temperature you can go. Because? Because uh, that um, basically isolates your quantum thing from everything else in the world. <laughs> so, so what you want is your, quant your qubits. Your quantum thing. Yeah, what you want, your qubits cannot interact with anything. Um, you cannot interact with anything. They have to be perfectly isolated to like preserve. They can't be measured. So basically the reason why uh, it needs to be super cooled is because if it interacts with anything at room temperature or anything else like that, that basically ruins the quantum state. It acts as a measurement, which sort of just destroys everything. So all this stuff needs to be cooled down to super low temperatures. So actually, most of what you see here is just one big fridge. <laughs> uh, and the, the only quantum bit, which, um, which uh, the, only, the, the, only, the part of the system which is quantum, right at the bottom of the picture, you can sort of see there's a little square. There, there's a little red bit there. That is your quantum chip. <laughs> That oh, is wow. the thing doing the quantum mechanical processing. That's the bit that contains your qubits. Well, if you're spending tens of millions, I think they've rightly designed the rest of it to look interesting because only you and a few of your friends will know that. If they just showed, <laughs> if they just showed you that little box, people are like, well, that's not fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, and all the rest of it is uh, feeding all of the information down into the super... So all of the sort of vertical little coils you can see and all the cool little things, yeah. that's just basically your, your wiring feeding all the information down into your quantum bit just down at the bottom. That is a very cool design. So, so anyone listening who's not seen the video, just go onto Google and search for a quantum computer and have a look at these machines. So who, do we know whose machine is it, or, or do they uh, all look like this? First, so the title is First Quantum Computer to Pack 100 Qubits Enters Crowded Race. So that could be, so there are a few, uh, IBM, uh, Google, some of the big guys, uh. Uh, there's a company called Rigetti that's a startup. Those are the companies that have reached this 100 qubit type point. Danny, can you search up China quantum computer? Because there's another one I've seen. Cool. So, so this is what our system looks like. So this, these are systems that use lights. So now all of a sudden you can't see that fridge system. You can't see that golden. Remind us what they use instead. So they use photonics. They use light to do similar to what we do. Uh, but you said before there's another option. You, you could use something else instead of photons. Um, so you can use uh, elect electrons. Okay. So the previous systems that we saw, basically there's loads of different ways to try and do the same thing. Uh -huh. You can either rely on super cooled sort of electronic circuits, like at really, really low temperatures, which is the picture we saw before. That's what Google and IBM and, 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 and those, those types of companies are doing. Um, this system relies on using light. And so that's what this looks like. That's what our system looks like on the inside. Sort of the reason why it doesn't rely on super low temperatures is that light, it sort of doesn't really interact with anything in the same way that elect electronics do. Like you can pass a laser beam, you know, through across a, across a room and it doesn't, doesn't interact with anything. So it doesn't need to be cooled down like that. It just, it can, it can work at room temperature. So these are the most, no one's trying to solve the thousand, 10,000, 1 billion qubit thing right now. Is it step changes? I think there are a few companies looking at, so, there's a combination there. Are a few companies looking at how do we get from 100 qubits to 200 qubits to 300. Right. 
I think most companies also have an activity to look at how you get from 100 qubits to 10,000 qubits to a million qubits. You've got to sort of work out both at the same time, almost. So you've sort of got to have a bit of a short-term product roadmap and then a longer-term one. What kind of qubit level does it get to the point where it starts to solve like crazy problems that could never have been touched before? So some some quantum computers are starting to do that already. Okay. Uh, so there've been three demonstrations of what's called it's called quantum supremacy, which is where a quantum computer does something that a normal computer, normal uh, supercomputer can't do. There've been three so far, two by uh, fact, four actually, two by the Chinese, uh, one by a company called Xanadu in Canada, and one by Google. So these are all the they've built a quantum computer that's big enough that all of a sudden it can do something that a normal computer can't do. The sort of weird thing is that the, the problem is that those problems at the moment aren't useful problems. They're not like machine learning. They're sort of weird mathematical. And so you sort of got to imagine that a lot of this is being driven like a bunch of mathematicians. Hmm. They've come up with a problem that's sort of very specific that a quantum computer can do very, very quickly that a normal computer can't do. The problem at the moment is that no one cares about that problem. It doesn't, right. it's not useful, but it's still a stepping stone to something that is useful. Uh-huh. So the sort of race is on at the moment to be the first company or government or you know, how, whichever or you know, however you want to do it to 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 show that link between a useful uh, uh, a quantum computer doing something with a not useful problem, and then two a quantum computer doing a, a solving a problem that can't be done with a classical computer, which is also useful. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. How how much of the conversation amongst uh, the community is with regards to kind of like the ethical side of this and any potential dangers or risks of quantum computers being used for nefarious means yeah it's big i think i mean i think we all are i mean we share your worries really about you know this being not that democratic you know let's be honest this is a, you know, at some levels this is a sort of an arms race happening mostly between the u.s and china, china yeah at the moment so I think all of us are aware of that. I don't think, um, I mean, to be honest, the lucky thing for us is that all of the really good applications for these systems, rather than the bad ones, emerge first. So the first, the first quantum computers to be out there, they won't be useful for the, the really scary stuff. They'll be a world away from that. They won't be useful for breaking encryption. They will be useful for machine learning and other types of problems, which sort of, you know, more widely, like, can be understood to be useful but i think what several companies including orca are starting to do is get together and discuss like the ethical side of of quantum computing and Um, there are quantum resistant encryption methods aren't there yeah yeah is that becoming a more widely used thing yeah i think so i mean there's i don't know if it's widely used at the moment it's been researched so there's a a nist which is an nsa so you various different us uh security agencies a sort of publishing recommendations for these new algorithms, new encryption algorithms. Um, I think it's still sort of hotly debated. So, for example, um, this sort of recent publication by um, one US government department, it didn't just give one solution, it gave like five solutions mm-hmm. and what are called post-quantum algorithms. So encryption algorithms that will survive beyond quantum computing. Right. So it's sort of, and I think in terms of people who are worried about security, they're not quite sure which solution to pick at the moment because everyone's sort of taking a look at 
how secure are these different alternatives? There's a big, sometimes these algorithms that replace what's already there are a bit slower. So, you know, maybe particularly in the, in the case of, you know, what might be relevant for Bitcoin, um, obviously like the speed in which you can, you, the speed in which you can encrypt your data and decrypt your data matters a lot. Yeah. And if someone could say say to you, okay, this data is much more in, much more secure because it's a better encryption algorithm, but it's going to take you ten times, hundred times longer to encrypt decrypt. Obviously, for a lot of customers, a lot of people using encryption, that's not very good. Yeah. So there's this whole like debate happening about what the right new sort of platform, what the right algorithm needs to be. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the biggest risk to Bitcoin is that. Um, I guess one of the risks with um, quantum computing and the risk of Bitcoin is that uh, you talk about these milestones being hit, uh, quantum supremacy. But I would have no doubt there are certain governments, if they are, uh, achieve a certain milestones in their quantum development, they're not going to actually make that public. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there is a benefit to being able to use it for access to information, hacking, yada, yada. And so at the point where maybe SHA-256 can be broken... Um, it might already have happened. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, you, no one knows. You're right. Uh, there's a lot of. I mean, China investing a huge amount of money into this space. Of course, yeah. As ever. They see it as. The, I mean, they've got a you know, strategy about building AI and also quantum alongside that. It's also it's to two things. Yeah, it's not possible to know if when they'll have a system or any of us will have a system that works and can do this type of thing. It's also not possible, in my view, to really know when a breakthrough might happen. So you know, really any of us could, any company, Orca is looking at a few things that could very rapidly accelerate the number of qubits that we've got. So maybe not quite overnight, but you know, pretty relatively quickly, all of a sudden you could have this new capability that no one has planned for before. That's something that, you know, that, that's for good and it's also for maybe not so good. Um, that's why a lot of companies are like investing and looking at this now because... They want to prepare for the point where, out of the blue, one of these systems that can be used for something suddenly suddenly emerges. That's the mm. sort of really interesting side of things. I will say as well, not so much on the on the SHA side, on the on the hashing side, but in terms of sort of encrypted data, um, what you've got to worry about, and again, this doesn't really relate to Bitcoin where everything sort of turns over every 10 minutes, but for normal encrypted data, some of that data might be being recorded today in an encrypted form so that at a later date when a quantum computer or some other system becomes available, that person can then look back at that data, which was encrypted, but now you've got a way of decrypting that data. And all of a sudden, everything, an email that you sent 10 years ago, or you know an encrypted file that you sent 10 years ago, which has been recorded by someone out there, all of a sudden, they've gone back to it and applied a quantum computer and decrypted that. So a lot of the argument on the encryption side, not necessarily, this actually doesn't relate to sort of for Bitcoin so much, but on the encryption side, a lot of people are worried about like you know, how long do you want your secrets to remain secret for? And if you're really worried about things staying secret for a long time, you know there are some things that people won't want to get out for the next hundred years. Then that's that's the reason for people moving onto other types of secure platforms today. Yeah, I mean, you, you talking about things like messaging platforms as well, Signal, yada yada. I mean, maybe we just need to go to that black mirror world where everything is public. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> what are you hiding, Danny? 
everything. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to paint too scary a picture. I mean, it's sort of well, cool. It's, exci- it's, it's exciting and scary. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I don't want to dismiss it too much. That's sort of true with any disruptive new technology. Of course. And I will say, you know, the, the thing that we are most excited about, the thing that I think has the most benefit to society is the most democratic is all of the stuff that will happen in the near term. I think, you know, the ethical side of things is really important. And, you know, I'm not dismissing it, but we'll, we're, we're sort of forming, you know, views and we'll get onto that. But in terms of all of this, this decryption worry, it's not something that's going to happen overnight because the, well, even with a breakthrough, it takes a lot of engineering to go from 100 qubits to a billion. And, and is this something that if it is possible, it won't still even be within a decade? We're talking many decades? Um, it depends who you talk to. I mean, I, I believe that breakthroughs are happening and will continue to happen and to make it a reality sooner than a decade. Okay. Um, but then, you know, what do I mean by that? I don't necessarily mean... Di- well, for the people listening, if there is a risk to their Bitcoin, they want to know how long. Is it a decade, five decades, that uh, kind of thing? So I think for the types of things we've talked about for Bitcoin... I, I do think you're talking about a 10-year or longer risk. Uh, okay. I, I, I honestly can't see a quantum computer emerging that can... So the secret is something that can run error correction. That's what you need to support a billion qubits and therefore, you know, break SAR uh, or, or encryption. I can't see that happening within the next 10 years. But yeah, you, you never know. You know, particularly sort of risk-averse people might you know i don't know if you've got a massive bitcoin wallet and you're really worried about that maybe you want to take steps i don't i don't know but in my if i i i wouldn't worry yeah uh, at least not now for for bitcoin okay um just another thing i wanted to ask you about with regards to quantum mechanics it's completely random but uh that thing i read about whereby you've got a particle in one place quantum entanglement and you turn that particle and there's another particle somewhere else that turns what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> like seriously, um, and how do you how do you know those two entangled? And, uh, can, and can other ones be? Could there be two entangled from different different ends of the universe? Yeah, well, I guess the good way to describe it is you know when I, all the way back to when I was talking about these photons or whatever being able to exist in two places at once. Yeah. So say your photon hits a mirror and it half gets reflected and then half doesn't. So you know it's in this quantum state. So half of that could go off to one side of the universe and half could go off to the other side of the universe. They're linked. So if you do if you do something to one of those, if you measure one of them, it either appears on one side of the universe or it appears on the other side of the universe. So this quantum effect, if you like, has is very long distance. And so, it's not just photons, it can be electrons too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually the best way to describe it is it's anything that's like super isolated. So you basically want an object that's not in contact with anything, anything. So it can't be bouncing off. If it's a single atom, so there are ways of making qubits out of single atoms, those single atoms cannot interact. They can't collide with another single atom because that just that basically acts as a, as a measurement like we, we described earlier. It destroys the quantum stuff. It, it, any quantum effect, any quantum mechanical effect will be destroyed if it comes in contact with a non-quantum thing. So if it's a single atom and it collides with another atom, then it's destroyed. If it's an electron, it has to be super cooled because if it interacts with another atom or an electron, it will be destroyed. If it's a photon and it 
it's okay, photons are good because they don't interact very much, but if it interacts in a strange way with something else, the quantum effect will be destroyed. Right. So this is why all of these sort of platforms are sort of, they're all weird. They, they're either super cooled or they're in very high levels of vacuum. So you're sometimes talking about single electrons or ions in very high levels of vacuum. All of this is just designed to have very, very isolated systems. Isn't I know. Quite, it might be quantum entanglement that Einstein talked about <laughs> and said it's super weird. It doesn't make any sense. In your, um, your beer sessions and you're kind of discussing this, is anyone trying to understand, even though you say they can't, are people trying to figure out why this is happening? Of, of course, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And have they made any progress? There are a bunch of... Am I allowed to? I've probably gone weird and wacky. Say right? anything, man. <laughs> right. Say anything. Uh, well, I will say uh, this point about one of the main questions is like when you measure these fo measure these quantum objects and they become non-quantum. That doesn't make sense to any physicist. They don't get it. Um, and this sort of spawns all of this thought about. I don't know if you've ever heard of like multiverses. Yes, I have a lot so, about multiverses. Yeah, right. yeah. So this sort of uh, people, people, physicists try and come up with like answers to like what on, what on earth is going on, and um, one answer might be every time a, a quantum thing is measured, it it still it doesn't it doesn't stop being both things at once because an extra universe is created. So every time you're measuring something. You know, before it was both places at once, and it's still, you know, you measure it and it on, to us it looks like it's become classical again. It's lost its quantumness. It becomes just one place again. Yes. Maybe the, the answer to what on earth has happened there is the universe is created like a double. It's created a split off. And that other measure, the, the other outcome of that measurement exists in that other universe if that makes sense. So there's almost like an infinite number of universes being created constantly for every single scenario. That's what multiverses are, yeah. yeah. Every time that anything makes a decision, so it might, I mean, I talk a lot about single photons or quantum objects, like choosing whether to be reflected off a mirror or transmitted through a mirror. Like Each of those decisions creates another universe. The choice about whether you go to the shops or not or stay at home and watch TV, that's another type of choice. That's another universe that's created. There's a there's a uh, multi there's another universe in the multiverse, Danny, where United aren't shit, <laughs> <laughs> where they didn't lose four 0 to Brentford. And not many, not many universes. And they, <laughs> yeah, they are bottom of the league. Um, uh, Einstein said that quantum entanglement was spooky action at a distance. There you go. That was the yeah. quote I was looking for. And it's sort of the right way to describe. It, as much as I hate it, like uh, just describe. And we did spend a lot of time talking about all this spooky yeah. stuff. It is spooky. No one understands it. I don't, to be honest, I don't think it's, I try not to talk about all the spooky stuff because it's interesting, yeah, for sure. But, you know, when we try and build quantum computers, it's not useful, if that makes sense. So we try and avoid all the spooky stuff um, and focus on all the useful stuff. Is it because um, it's a distraction or because you... Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the team sit around, you know, and if they've got a beer, all work stops and everyone sort of scratches head and like what on earth is happening the like, fuck? Uh, <laughs> yeah but that's the best bit it yeah. is like this this spooky so are, are there any other spooky things come well uh i mean there's a ton of also there's a ton of stuff um a ton of things in our lives that we don't understand yes one of which being 
like consciousness like i was about to say women we'll women. That. <laughs> well i was gonna say yeah i don't uh, i mean my daughter god, god help me <laughs> i'm on i'm on mic so i can't talk about my wife <laughs> like, are we gonna have to edit that one out <laughs> neil will probably say so yeah um, my brother my brother would be like pete you can't say that you sound like jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> uh women maybe one uh like consciousness why any of us like we're all like things um, but we all have thoughts, we all have feelings, we all have, you know, a soul, whatever. Um, all of those things we don't understand. Something came out about consciousness this week. Yeah. Um, what was that? You, you I don't a, know. Can you search, <laughs> search Google News for consciousness? I saw something. What was it I saw? Maybe this. Here we go. Quantum physics could finally explain consciousness. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I saw that this week. Uh, I never actually read it. I just saw the headline. All right, blah, blah, blah. So I will say, yeah, so the headline says it all. Professor of philosophy weighs in. Because, yeah. I mean, to be honest, at a certain point, I don't really think it's the job of a physicist. Because physicists are sort of weird people. They don't get out of the lab a lot. They shouldn't really be thinking about, like, consciousness, like what makes us people and things. But anyway, this, this is sort of to say that, um, and by the way, quantum physicists hate me for talking about this because no one really knows, but no one really understands how our brains work and that no one really understands how quantum physics works. Maybe some of this stuff is related to, well... Are our brains quantum? Are our brains quantum? Yeah. And there are, um, so there are some cool things in, uh, so for example, I think starlings, some birds, they can't explain how they're so good at navigating so they sort of fly from one part of the world to another part. They're amazingly good at being able to do that. In a way, you know, if we have our own sort of sensing devices, uh -huh. they're not as good as a bird, a sparrow at doing that. And so some people are sort of thinking, well, maybe that's because, and I think there might even be some proof to say inside of a bird's beak, I think it is, is a magnetic sensor that allows it to like, locate magnetic north. But it's a quantum sensor. It's sort of something that relies on quantum mechanics to be better than any normal sensor could be. Yes. So there's all this stuff, like basically at the it's edge mad. of what we think is possible, like quantum turns up. And this sort of, I guess, comes back to maybe the reason people think it's so Can you powerful. scroll down a bit, Danny? The subatomic world. Early quantum physicists noticed that the double A we talked about This that. article has given us our title. Quantum physics and the consciousness are weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is also weird. Okay, what other weird stuff? Just let's give some... Weird uh, juice to the listeners. What else? What blows your mind the most with this? When you think about it, you're like, that's just fucking insane. Well, I, I to be honest, when I was a student going through this the first time, we spent a lot of time with quite a few beers trying to work out this whole measurement thing. Like, And we, we just came up with some crazy ideas. We're sort of like, well, hang on a minute. Maybe, and this is going to sound a bit weird, but maybe there's like another type of creature out there that's like another level of consciousness. That So we think we're making measurements. We think we're watching these quantum systems and like, okay, quantum changes because we're observing them. Maybe there's like another type of measurement. Maybe there's another type of being. We're just existing in what another being would come and look at and be like, well, that's weird. That doesn't, do you know what I mean? Maybe there's yeah. lots of different. But the simulation, maybe. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, I don't want to sound too weird, but maybe we are living in a simulation. It's just sort of, it sort of blows your mind to imagine that we're all living in this strange quantum mechanical world and none of us have a clue how it, what it is, no. even, how well, so, it, let alone how it works. So the simulation stuff, to me, I was like, yeah, it just sounds like bollocks until, who has it explained it? And the way, maybe as Elon Musk explained it, he said, but if you look at how far computers have advanced in like 30 years, maybe 30 years ago, we first played SimCity and we could just build a road and, and now the crazy shit you can do with them. 
but that's a short amount of the human uh, time span. We've been here for thousands and thousands of years, but the planet's millions of years. You know, trying to imagine the advancement or in you know, 10,000 years in computing, you can see a scenario where you could have the ability, maybe with an orca machine, to create a simulation of the Earth. And if that's possible, then the most likely outcome is that we are in a simulation. Absolutely, yeah. I, it blows my mind. We work with one bank, and the guy we work with in the bank sort of basically advises all of his incoming graduates. He says, if you don't learn how to program a quantum computer now, what well, you should start. Because in the course of your career, it will change the face of computing. So, you know, make sure you learn how to program a quantum computer because at some point we're going to find that it's useful and at some point it's going to completely dominate everything you're doing. So start start learning now. I, I mean, it's difficult to say exactly what's going to happen, but it is quite exciting. I spend a lot of my time talking about how bad classical computers are at lots of things. Like, I don't know about you, I try and use like Siri and I get really frustrated. Siri's terrible. I just don't, I don't like, use Siri. Dan, you do though. I've noticed Danny does it. You book uh, appointments. And yeah, I make you remind reminders. me of things. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah okay. Maybe, maybe your voice remind works better. Person, yeah. Siri. Remind, remind uh, me it's my wife's birthday. Yeah, <laughs> that's in there, honestly. I know. <laughs> but would, you, would you trust a driverless car? Like, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I've been in a Tesla that's driven itself a little bit. And you were nervous or you were? Not really. Okay. To be honest, it was on like a highway. I mean, it'd be different if you're on like a country lane, I guess. But I mean, you go and drive a pilotless planes essentially. I mean, the pilot's there, but the yeah. autopilot. But you still see a lot of these YouTube videos of like Teslas just crashing through like things that are made to look like people. I you also that... see videos of morons crashing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love the thought of driverless cars. I think often you sort of come back to what it needs to like implement AI to be actually good at driving a car all the time without any risks in the way that... And computers are sort of quite bad. I mean, it's amazing how far they've come to be able to do that. But, but I think I think what it comes down to is if there's an accident, you would rather blame yourself than a computer. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, quantum computers could potentially offer much better AI, so give you a much better trust in either the driverless car or handing over trust to a driverless car. Much might be much less uh, likely to crash or mistake a person as... a Shopping trolley or something like that. I hope I hope it's not been too technical. I hope you've enjoyed it. Okay, look, le I'll level with you. When you get into the details of how it works, I've got no idea what's going on. But I don't know how really how computers work. But honestly, this is my favorite interview that I've made in. I can't even think how long. It just it's I just find it fascinating um, because it's weird and yet it's useful. Yeah, and, it, I, I guess, and Einstein thinks it's spooky. Yeah, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. I guess fucking idiot. <laughs> for that, for that, what was it like? Fifteen minute segment where we went in deep. Yeah, and you looked at me like I had two heads for a little while. <laughs> like, that, I'm just my, my confused, okay. my confused face and interested face are exactly the same. Excellent. Okay, that's good. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. But I'd just say if anyone sort of doesn't, you don't need to know. Just trust us. Like people building these systems to sort of like fast forward back past that fifteen minutes. Wait for us to build these awesome systems. Yeah. And then, you know, give us time. If you're interested, get involved. I do think there's a, an interesting, like, future-proofing activity that people are doing today. Like, all a lot of big FTSE 100 companies have all got a quantum strategy to sort of prepare and plan for the time when these things are available. Uh -huh. And none of those senior execs, like, get into the details of, like, what a multiverse look like or anything like that. Because they, they just, you know, like, okay, show me the business advantage. And so that's what we spend a lot of our time doing. Makes my life well less fun, I'll be honest, <laughs> than this conversation, but maybe simpler. So 
Well, if people want to find out more, where, where do they go? Tell them how to find out more about Orca and yourself. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, contact us. We've got a website and things like that. You can just log on. We're all over sort of LinkedIn and things. Orca.com, Orca something? Uh, Orcacomputing.com. Orcacomputing.com. And, um, and you basically the Bill Gates of uh, quantum computers. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Fucking let's go. Uh, man, I loved this. This was great. This is fascinating. Uh, I wish you all the best. I'll be keeping an eye out for Orca. I'll be interested to see if you get a few people reach out and say, hey, can you build me an ASIC for uh, mining? Just let me know because I'll be interested. <laughs> and if you can, uh, come to me first. Me and Danny, me and Danny are hot on this. I don't know if we've got the budget. <laughs> we'll find the money. Uh, no, all the best, man. That's just very you. cool. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything you do, Richard. Loved it. Thank you. Okay, thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Richard. I know I did. Look, I'm a bit of a science nerd and I love these types of discussions because it's all just kind of insane to me to think about what we're going through with these technological advancements and these kind of revolutionary leaps in technology. So, yeah, super interesting. I loved it. It's a big day today. We're preparing for a game against Molten FC in the league tomorrow. They are third in the table. We're top. It's a crunch game. If we win, it will be a real statement. So I'm prepping for that. Hopefully going to see some Bitcoiners down there. Looking forward to that game as well. Now, listen, I know you all don't like football. I said that in the intro, but I've got to talk about it sometimes because not only is it a personal project to me, but there's some cool Bitcoin stuff going on down there. We accept Bitcoin. You can buy your can of Coke or a pint of beer at halftime with Bitcoin. You can buy your tickets with Bitcoin. You can even buy the merch on the website with Bitcoin. And I'm also orange pilling people in Bedford. A very cool project for me. Thanks to everyone who supported it. Anyway, have a great rest of your week. If you want to get in touch, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.